0: As we're waiting for those Bibles to be passed around, um, our first reading today is Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, and you'll um, find that on page 2, so Genesis 2 on page 2, beginning at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement. So the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found as his complement. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, "'This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh.'" This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves.
1: Brothers and sisters, we now come to our second reading. If you turn to page 1006, we come to Acts four thirty two. Now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed for each person's basic needs. Joseph, a Levite and a Cypriot by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira "'Sold a piece of property. "'However, he kept back part of the proceeds "'with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it "'and laid it at the apostles' feet. "'Then Peter said, Ananias, "'why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit "'and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? "'Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? "'And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal?' Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. There was an interval of about three hours. Then his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the field for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church, on all, and on all who heard these things. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. By common consent, they would all meet in Solomon's colonnade. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people praised them highly. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, crowds of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a large group came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning. My name is Ed. I'm a student minister here at Church by the Bridge. We've got a pretty heavy passage in God's word this morning, don't we? So we're going to need God's help as we make our way through it. Let's pray. Our Father God, we do believe in the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would help us to see his part in enabling us to live out the resurrection that we preach. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by sharing with you four reasons why I think belonging to the church is the most precious thing in all the earth. I'm sure you've noticed that there's a lot of tension in our world, a lot of division. I mean, it's easy to see in the newspapers, isn't it? But... It happens in our workplaces, in our relationships, our friendships, our families. You know, people trying to push their own agenda, pushing others out of the way, slander, gossip. Well, you won't find that in the church. No, the church is a place of unity. You know, despite all of the differences of the people in this building, we share one goal and one vision, and that is making Jesus known to the ends of the earth. I'm sure you've noticed how unfair life can be. On one side, you've got people living with more than they know with what to do with. On the other, you've got people who are literally starving to death on their doorstep. Well, you won't find that in the church. No, the church is a place of equality. The church is a place where no one is needy. Because Christians hold so loosely to their possessions that if we see anyone in need, we simply give to the people around us. Are you tired of being lied to? Well, you won't get told lies in the church. No, the church is a place of truth. There is no hypocrisy in the church because at the church we practice what we preach. The fourth reason I love being part of the church is because this church, the church of God, is the fastest growing movement in our city. People are literally banging down the doors to get in amongst us. Now, as you look around, perhaps you know that that's not necessarily true of the church, is it? What's the first thing, or one of the first things that people say to you when you pluck up the courage to talk to that family member or friend about Jesus? What's one of the first things they say to you? I don't have a problem with Jesus They say, it's you Christians I've got a problem with. I've been to church and it's full of hypocrites. You know, you've got priests who preach about loving people and then they abuse innocent children. You've got ministers who ask for your money and then take the money and spend it on themselves. And then you've got those Sunday Christians who are all holy on one day of the week and six days of the week, they're worse than the rest of us. Friends, hypocrisy is not new. In the church. Scott read to us the first about the first hypocrites in the church in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. But I hope that you saw and experienced from the severity of God's judgment upon Ananias and Sapphira, that hypocrisy has no place amongst the people of God. Friends, God's intention is that the Christian church are a people who practice what they preach. And what do we preach? We preach the resurrection. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that people who trust in him will rise with him too. God's desire is that we would be a people who so live out this resurrection that we preach, that we show the world the glorious blessings of the age to come in this gathering of people. But the big message from God's word this morning to us is that if you want to be part of that glorious resurrection life, if you want to be a part in the resurrection, if you want to practice what you preach, then you must have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Because our main point, only people filled with the Holy Spirit can live the resurrection life. We're going to make our way through the three sort of logical sections of our passage this morning. You'll find it on page 1006. It would be great if you've got it open in front of you. It's Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32. We're going to begin looking at that first section, this glorious picture of the resurrection preaching and practicing church. We're going to look at that under the title of only those filled with the Spirit are really living Then we're going to think about Ananias and Sapphira under the heading, people without the Spirit are really dying. And then we're going to look at that third little chunk, which records the blessings of the future life breaking into the present under the title, come, be filled with the Holy Spirit and live. So our first point this morning, people filled with the Holy Spirit are really living. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church that I described to us before was the reality? Wouldn't it be amazing if we looked around and that's what we saw? Unity, equality, truth, growth. Well, that was the case in the early church. Let's have a read at this glorious picture that Luke paints of us of this early church starts in verse 32. Now the large group, so you've been gaining momentum this church. The large group of those who believed, it's important to define who we're talking about. We're talking about people who believe that Jesus died for them and have put their trust in him. And Luke's just clarified the verse above. Look up with me to verse 31. These are the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's have a look at the glorious picture of the church. Well, none of them, midway through verse 32, said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. Imagine what humanity could accomplish if we held things in common. Imagine if we combined our resources, the the glories that would be as Sean shared, the, uh, the, the ease that that would bring to our troubled souls if we knew that we could count on one another. Carrying on, Luke tells us that in verse 33, that great grace was on all of them. How do we know great grace was on all of them? Verse 34, for, for there was not a needy person among them. Can you imagine how good that would be? Imagine if you could look around this building, if you could look around the churches of God and know there's not a person in need. And you know what the scary thing about that is? Is that if we really want equality, most of us in this room stand to be the ones who will lose. Because we're on the good end of the stick, aren't we? We're not on the rough end. And so if we want equality, it's going to come at a cost. Well, that's what the early church were willing to pay, that cost. Because they were selling their houses. They were selling their land, their possessions, and bringing the proceeds to the Apostles. Why did they sell? They didn't sell because the property market was hot. They didn't sell because they were going to get a great tax deduction on their gift. They sold because they saw a need and they knew that their possessions could be the means to meet that need. Well, why would they do something like this? Why was there this extravagant generosity going on in this church that we we read about here? It wasn't because the minister had preached a cracking six-week series on generosity. It wasn't because everybody was reading a book on financial stewardship. What was the reason? Luke tells us, verse 33. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Friends, if we want to be an abundantly generous church, just need to keep reminding ourselves of the resurrection we're going somewhere else we belong somewhere different and as that message is preached the holy spirit takes that message implants it in our hearts and carries us up so that our identity is in glory in the life to come and we can hold loosely to the things of this world only the holy spirit can help you look at your life from the last day backwards Come with me, if you will, to that last day. The last day when you will stand before God. And imagine getting to the gates of heaven with a backpack on. And it's a backpack full of things. And uh, the Lord says to you, Ed, what's in the backpack? Oh, rich in wads of cash. What does the Lord say? Oh, I'm sorry, Ed, that currency's not current here. It's just waste paper so you reach in you pull out the house the dream house that you worked so hard to get and what does the lord say it's not bad but it's nothing compared to this glorious city i've prepared for you and all of your all of my people so you pull out your wardrobe all the beautiful clothes that you worked so hard for and what does the lord say well, it's nothing compared to this robe of righteousness I have for you to wear. Here's my gift to you for eternity. wonder what's in your backpack. wonder as you reach in, what are the things that, that you hold so tightly to that you wouldn't be willing to let go in light of the resurrection that you're heading to? Maybe a physique of a body, a perishable body, that's going to get outmatched by the glory of your immortal body. Maybe it's a a name for yourself or a career. Well, that will be nothing in comparison with the name that God will give you, his name that that will endure with you to eternity. Imagine on the other side, if you get to heaven and you've lived like these New Testament believers and you get there, you've got an empty backpack and you hear the words from God, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and have a look at the people. You know that money that you gave to to fund that church plan in southwest Sydney? Come and meet all the believers who believed in Jesus because of that gift. The house that you sold to fund Bible translation work in the South Pacific. Come and meet the tribes of people who believe in Jesus because of your generosity. Those kids... The kids you couldn't afford to send to private school. They turned out okay, didn't they? Look, they're here. They're in glory. And look, they've got their friends from Mossman High with them. Isn't this glorious? Friends, I wonder. I wonder if we're really living out the resurrection that we say we believe. May God make us all like Barnabas. We read about him in verse 36. His name was Joseph, but the apostles preferred to call him Barnabas because he was an encourager, a son of encouragement. What did he do? He sold a field that he owned. I find find that confronting. I often give out of what I've already got. I give out of my excess. Barnabas gave because he saw a need and he saw that the field that he owned could meet that need. What did he do? He brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Friends, if living the resurrection means that you want to be more generous, you want to hold more loosely to your stuff, I'm sure you might know of the need of one or two people amongst our congregation whom you could meet the needs of. Or maybe like me, you've got a pile of papers on your desk that's in the too hard basket of people who are asking for you to support them financially. Maybe you could just pick one or two of them and give freely to them. If you don't know who to give, do what Barnabas did. Lay it at the apostles' feet. Lay it at the leaders' feet. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our church wardens had the problem of so much generosity that they could meet the needs of all the saints here? Or give it to Anglican aid or compassion, people who are intentionally thinking about meeting the needs of the people in the kingdom of God. Well, well, I hope that you've seen as we've looked through this early church picture how glorious it is. And Luke has painted a picture to show us that this is like Eden. This is like back to the garden. This is where it was perfect. This is the utopian existence. But we know, don't we, that Satan doesn't like when it's all going well. And what did he do in the garden? slithered in in the form of a serpent and so what was his intention to do in the new testament church to slither in amongst the believers to try and deceive to try and corrupt and divide and break down this wonderful unity and so that's our second point today people without the holy spirit are really dying we're going to think about Ananias and Sapphira. But before we do that, I want you to come with me in your minds to the strategic planning department of hell in the year 33 AD. Oh, this is this is terrible. We can't stop these guys. You can imagine this, this meeting, the, the tension in the boardroom. We've done everything. I, you've, you've read last week, haven't you, about uh, we did that front-on attack of the church. These Holy Spirit-filled believers we, we grabbed their leaders and we imprisoned them unjustly and we threatened them. We told them not to speak in this name anymore. And what did they do? Peter and John, they went back to their people. They just prayed for more boldness. They prayed that the Holy Spirit would fill them more. We just can't stop these guys. What? And then we've come up with a great plan this week. We're not going to keep hitting them from the outside, we're going to go on the inside. Sabotage one of the guys came up with this great idea, hypocrisy. Do you know what that word means, hypocrisy? It literally means stage acting. We're going to put amongst them stage actors, people who look like them, who act like them, who seem to be like them but actually belong to us. They're going to get in amongst them and they're going to turn the culture. They're going to bring deceit and some lies. They're going to, they're going to divide the people. And just, just think forward, think 2,000 years from now what we could have. We could have churches with mission statements like living for Jesus, loving like Jesus, and then they only love the people that are like them. We could have them you know, declaring that they believe in the resurrection in a creed and then living like it's all here to get on earth. We could have them singing songs like, I surrender all and then have no intention of doing it. Imagine what we could do. And so onto the stage enter Ananias and Sapphira. Luke intentionally sets up this bad example of Ananias and Sapphira in direct contrast with that beautiful Holy Spirit-filled man Barnabas in the passage before. Ananias does all the same things that Barnabas did. Have a look in verse 1 of chapter 5. Ananias sold a piece of property. He uh, brought the, the, the money... And he also laid it at the apostles' feet, but what's the difference? With his wife's consent, he kept back part of the proceeds. That word literally means he pilfered, or he deprived the proceeds. I want to acknowledge that Ananias has been more generous than I've ever been in my life. Here, I mean, I can think of things that I've, uh, I can think of things I haven't bought to give money away, but I can't think of things I've sold. So I can give to the needy. And why did Ananias do this? Luke doesn't tell us. Perhaps he liked seeing the encouragement that was brought by Barnabas' gift. Perhaps he wanted to be esteemed and praised by the apostles. Well, what Luke does tell us is Peter's shocking response to Ananias. Read it with me in verse 3. Ananias. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds? He goes on to say, You didn't have to sell the field, Ananias. And when you sold it, you didn't have to give the money to the church. But you've intentionally tried to deceive us. And you haven't just deceived, tried to deceive us, but you've lied to God. And then he falls down dead. I want to ask you the question, do you think that Ananias was a Christian? Well, how does Luke tell us that he wasn't? The answer is in verse 3. Have a look again. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Friends, there is no room for Satan in a heart that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're comparing Ananias with Barnabas. Barnabas, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Satan can't get room in a heart that's filled by the Spirit of God. So why did Ananias and Sapphira drop down dead? Well, we know that they certainly weren't the first to tell a lie, were they? And they certainly weren't the last to be hypocrites. But what were the words of God back in the garden, back in Eden? Remember, Luke's painting this Eden-like picture of the church Charlie read them to us before. You must not eat the fruit of the tree, for on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. What happened on the day that Adam and Eve ate that fruit? God was surprisingly patient. God was merciful. They didn't drop down dead, but they were banished from the garden, cut off from the tree of life, out of relationship with God of the universe. They were effectively... Living but dying. Adam and Eve were walking dead people. So, why did Ananias and Sapphira die straight away? Well, they thought that they were fooling God and everyone else, but really they were only fooling themselves. They died as an example and as an extreme example to show that if you want to be part of God's church, you've got to realize that you're dealing with the holy God of heaven. If you want in on this glorious resurrection preaching, resurrection living body, you're dealing with the God of heaven. And there is no place for lies or hypocrisy in heaven. And there's no place amongst God's people here on earth. It's shocking, but I hope that in some ways it's a little bit comforting for you as well. Because God wants, to, wants you to know, friends, that he is not fooled by hypocrisy and lies. No one is getting away with child abuse, with fraud, with domestic violence, with extramarital sex. No one is getting away with those things. God sees them all. The people out there who may have hurt you, the people who may have put friends of yours off ever stepping foot in a church again, God has seen it and God will judge it. They are under God's judgment. They are effectively walking dead people. But if you here today are living amongst God's people, but living a lie, living in unrepentant sin, refusing to turn away, refusing to turn back to Jesus, then the word of God is that you too are a walking dead person. But here's the real tragedy, because if we're honest, we're all liars. We've all lied. We've all been hypocritical. So if we want justice done to those people out there, it needs to be done in us as well. Anyone who's not done business with God, God's message is clear today. You're like Ananias and Sapphira. You are a walking dead person. And it will come as no surprise to you that the day that these events took place in Jerusalem, Luke records that a great fear fell on the church and all who heard these things. And fear is a right response for all of us. But here's a bit of a diagnostic question for each of us. What are you fearing right now? If you fear that what happened to Ananias and Sapphira might happen to you, God's got a glorious invitation for you. He wants you to come out from that fear and under the Holy Spirit. He wants you to come, be filled with the Holy Spirit and live. And that's our final point this morning. God wants you to know that no one needs to live in the fear of the fate that Ananias and Sapphira lived under. And why is that? It's because we know that there's one who has already fallen down dead under the curse of sin. There is one who was picked up, carried away, put in a tomb. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has suffered the curse of our lies and our hypocrisy. He's died, been buried, but he didn't stay dead. He's risen from the dead to show that anyone who trusts in him can be forgiven of their sins, can receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit in their heart, and they can really start living. They can be people who practice what they preach. They can be people who live the resurrection that we believe. All you have to do is turn back to God. That's the message as it goes out through the book of Acts. They're calling people, respond to God, respond to Jesus, say sorry to God for your sins, turn to Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit and live. And that's what we see in our final paragraph, this glorious picture of the wonders of the resurrection age, the blessings of the age to come, bursting into the present. Have a look with me. Many signs and wonders, verse 12, were being done by the apostles. Down the bottom, 15. As a result, the sick are getting carried out onto the streets. End of verse 16. All those who were tormented by unclean spirits and the sick were healed. Beautiful, beautiful picture of the promises of the age to come happening in the present. The resurrection blessings taking place in the here and now. And these, many of these were wonderful physical blessings. And and I hope, I pray that we see those amongst us. We have the certain promise of the spiritual blessings of the resurrection taking place amongst us, though. And we want to grab hold of that. We want to grab hold of those things we know are certain in this life. And that is that if you turn to Jesus, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the blessings the certainty of life everlasting can be yours. That is yours and nothing and no one can take it away from you. And as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, those amongst us, we want to be people who are living out the resurrection that we preach and we believe in. Wonderful pictures. We want to see people amongst us. Hypocrites becoming honest, liars telling the truth, aggressors becoming peacemakers, abusers seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, faithless people becoming faithful, people once filled with Satan, now filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I really do think that belonging to the church of God is the very best thing on earth. I really do think it, and I really do think that we can see it more clearly. As you and I, brothers and sisters, allow the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, to believe in the resurrection, to live our lives from that last day backwards, we will become a people where we are unified despite all our differences. We will be a people where there is equality because we give generously. We will be a place of truth where there is no hypocrisy, where Satan finds no room in church by the bridge because every heart in here is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then we might see that wonderful promise of verse 14, or that wonderful hope of verse 14 that they saw in the New Testament. Believers being added to the Lord and increasing in numbers. Crowds of men and women turning to Jesus and coming and joining us here at Church by the Bridge. Let's conclude by turning to God in prayer. Perhaps today you've become aware of unrepentant hypocrisy in your heart. That you are someone who is living like Ananias and Sapphira amongst God's people Yet not filled with God's Spirit. I want to give you a moment to turn back to God, to repent of your sin, to put your trust in Jesus, and receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Our Father God, we are all sorry that we have once lived turning our backs on you, lying and being hypocritical. We thank you that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and rose from the dead to assure us of our forgiveness and our everlasting life. We put our trust in him and ask for your promised Holy Spirit to fill our hearts that this church might be that glorious Eden-like picture of the resurrection age that is coming such that our city would flock to become part of the resurrection people of God here at Church by the Bridge. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.